0: Hold on. Good morning, welcome, and thank you. Uh, welcome. We're, we're so glad that you're here with us this morning at Malvern Hill. Let me get this. Somebody can have a pen. So glad that you're here with us. If you're a guest with us this morning, thank you so much. It is our privilege to have you with us. I do just want to reiterate what Adam said to you. If you're a guest, we're not only glad you're here, but we would ask you to fill out one of those connection cards. You can either do that online, somebody filled one out online for us last week. You can do that online. Or you can do it. There's a tear-off in your in your worship folder there. And if you fill it out in paper, just go ahead and fill that out at your convenience. And on your way out this morning, you can drop it in one of those orange buckets that are big, bright, and orange. You can't miss them. And we can just have a record of your visit. I'd just like to drop you a letter in the mail, and thank you for being with us. This morning, we are going to be in the book of 2 Kings, chapter 20. 2 Kings, chapter 20. So as you're turning there, let me make... One other announcement, all these things are in the announcements in your, in your uh, bulletin, but let me just make one for you so that we can be real clear about it. We will be hosting Vacation Bible School here at Malvern Hill this year. and We're pretty excited about that. Last year, COVID uh, sidelined us, and we wrestled with exactly how we would do that. We will be hosting VBS. We will be opening that up to the community this year. We will be doing everything that we can to make it as, as uh, outreach-focused as we possibly can. Those of you that are, now what's crazy is right now as I look out, uh, 20% or so of you guys who are in this sanctuary right now were not a part of our church in February of 2020. So some of y'all have no earthly idea what I'm talking about because we're going all the way back to 2019. So those of you that have been part of VBS at Malvern Hill, we do it big, we do it right, and we need a lot of folks, okay? So uh, there will be a brief... Meeting, uh, and the date for that is in your bulletin. I believe that's next Sunday, the first Sunday in May. There'll be a brief vacation Bible school meeting right after service, and it's just one of those info meetings trying to gauge, figure out exactly where we are. So if you're interested in participating, uh, you got to be a member, you got to pass a background check. We'll have to known you for a few months just to all those things. But we, we're going to desperately need all the help that we can get so that we can do all we can to host Vacation Bible School here at Malvern Hill. So um, please be praying in that direction. And then um, uh, pray not about whether or not the Lord would have you to participate. Pray for any reason why he wouldn't have you to participate. And if he doesn't give you a good reason, then we've got to have you, all right? So uh, that's what we'll need uh, for Vacation Bible School. The dates and all that are in your worship folder. All right. Hopefully by now you've made it to 2 Kings chapter 20. We're going to begin reading in verse 12. Just a reminder for maybe those of you who haven't been with us in recent weeks or in recent months, we've been reading through the Bible together as a church. And so um, we're into the book of 2 Kings by now. You'll be looking into 2 Kings this coming week for those of you that are following along with our church reading guide. So I'll be preaching this morning about a man named Hezekiah who was a good king in the nation of Judah. And we're going to read specifically this morning... The death, the end of Hezekiah's life. Here, Second uh, Kings chapter twenty, beginning in verse twelve. Please, if you would stand with me in honor of God's word, and hear what God's word has to say to each and every one of us at that, t- at that time. At that time, Merodach Baladan, the son of Baladan, king of Babylon, sent envoys with letters and a present to Hezekiah, for he heard that Hezekiah had been sick. And Hezekiah welcomed them, and he showed them all his treasure house, the silver, the gold, the spices, the precious oil, his armory, all that was found in his storehouses. There was nothing in his house or in all his realm that Hezekiah did not show them. Then Isaiah the prophet came to King Hezekiah and said to him, what did these men say? And from where did they come to you? And Hezekiah said, they have come from a far country, from Babylon. He said, what have they seen in your house? And Hezekiah answered, they have seen all that is in my house. There is nothing in my storehouses that I did not show them. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and that which your fathers have stored up till this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And some of your own sons who shall be born to you shall be taken away. They shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Then Hezekiah said to Isaiah, The word of the Lord that you have spoken is good. For he thought, Why not? If there will be peace and security in my days, the rest of the deeds of Hezekiah, in all his might, and how he made the pool and the conduit and brought the water into the city, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? And Hezekiah slept with his fathers, and Manasseh his son reigned in his place. Let's pray together. Father God, I pray that you'd help me to preach this morning. Father God, I pray that you'd be at work among us, that we would consider our own legacy, but Lord God, we'd be impacted by the legacy of a man like Hezekiah. Lord God, and more than anything else, may we revel. Lord God, may we be captured in the legacy that Christ has given to us of salvation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. Again, thanks for being here. I do want to let you know, so um, uh, we are we, looking out. The kids leave, and it gets a little more cozy in here. When the kids are in here, there's not a whole lot of room to move, so we're going to look and see if we can't squeeze a few more chairs in somewhere. But I do want to let you know, uh, as you show up next week, if you want a little more room, there is a little bit of room in the balcony. So uh, there is some space up there. Our balcony crowd is not going to be real happy with me, but uh, you all can go and join them and have a little extra space. There's also just a reminder, especially for those that might be watching online at home uh, because you're just not comfortable coming back yet. We're continuing to have an overflow area in our gym where there's tons of room to space out. Um, You don't have to worry about being too close to anybody. So we do have those options that are available here. Hezekiah's Heritage. This morning I want to ask this question, how can you leave a legacy? 1998, um, baseball season's back, right? So in 1998, we can't help for those of you that are old enough to remember and know a little bit about baseball, about what an exciting year that was. It, was. it was the chase for the home run record. Y'all remember that? We've got Mark McGuire. Sammy Sosa, these two men that at, at that time, of course, we, we now have that, that asterisk, the steroid era in baseball, but these men stepped up to the plate, and they were huge mountains of men as they stepped up, and they hit home runs that the rest of us could only ever dream about. As a matter of fact, they hit them so far, I could never even dream of hitting them that far, right? And it was so much fun to watch them. High school teams would, would postpone practices so they could go and watch uh, these guys at the plate and see who could hit the most and the furthest home runs. Shortly after, we got to see Barry Bonds not chase the single season record. We got to see Cherry, Barry Bonds chase Hank Aaron's record. But there was always this, this question. There continues to be this question about the legacy of Barry Bonds, or the legacy of Mark McGuire, the legacy of Sammy Sosa. And it has to do with the question of whether or not they cheated. Right? And, and, and we're not going to get into all that, but just to know that that question mark is always there. But you know... There seems to be one person for whom there's never any question marks. That's Hank Aaron. There's something about all of us, I believe, who just like the idea that Hank Aaron held on to that record. We sort of like the idea that Hank Aaron had done what what seemed to be impossible. Not only did Hank Aaron do it, Hank Aaron did it the right way. And when I say the right way, I'm not talking about uh, the steroid error or anything like that. Hank Aaron was humble Hank Aaron was was sort of in his own way he was just graceful and then he did it at a time when our country was embroiled in racial turmoil and we've got uh, a a black man that the whole world just seems to be behind at least in, as I read back in history it seems that way I don't know for those of you that lived through it, what it was like listen to an interview with Hank Aaron uh several months back and and um the interviewer said what did you how did you celebrate The night that you hit that that home run, what did you do? He said, I don't really remember. He said, I know I did this. I, I know that I went home and my wife and I, we got together and we prayed and we thanked the good Lord that I'd had that opportunity. See, I didn't know that part of Hank Aaron until I heard that interview. And when I heard that interview, I thought, well, that's where Hank Aaron's legacy comes from, isn't it? Hank Aaron was a man whose worldview, whose life had been shaped by something greater than him. And so when we think of Hank Aaron's legacy, Hank Aaron seems to be larger than any baseball he ever hit. And some of that has to do with the fact that Hank Aaron allowed a baseball to be larger than his own life. Hank Aaron was willing to sort of fade into the background and to allow all of these things to happen. Another part of Hank Aaron's legacy is, is pretty, pretty incredible. When Hank Aaron hit that last home run, there were two young men that ran out on the field. Do anybody remember that story? Y'all that are old enough, I don't actually remember it. Remember, there was some guy here last week who accused me of being like 65 years old. <laughs> Can we please set the record straight? I turned 40 this year, but that is all. There is a four and a zero and nothing else. I'm sorry, I probably should have let that go, but I just couldn't. Four and a zero, that's all. And I will still outrun most of you just so we are clear. Don't challenge me afterward, I need to stretch and get my tennis shoes. Um, but I can out-bench press you, I guarantee. Anyway, moving on. But, but what was... I just completely undid everything, hey, Karen, was about, didn't I? Humble, kind, generous. Anyway, these two guys run onto the field and there was, there was fear because what are they doing? These two white kids run out onto the field. What struck me as odd is that as he's asked about it, he, he tells the life story of these two young men. He knew where they ended up. Hank Aaron has part of his moment robbed by these two geniuses that decide to run out on the field. And Hank Aaron decides that he's going to invest enough in their life that here we are all of these years later. And he says, yeah, that kid went on to become this and that one went on to be, be, be that. And I went, Holy cow. How could you have that degree of humility, of respect for others that when they've come in to rob you of your glory, you find some way to invest in their life? What a legacy from a man like Hank Aaron. Hank hey Aaron, what are you going to do with all your memor- memorabilia? Are you going to auction it off? Final story. He says, ah, none of that belongs to me. All of those things belong to the people to the fans of baseball who allowed me to be what I was. And so everything's been donated to Cooperstown. What a legacy. What a man. And I ask you this morning, what is your legacy? Obviously, you don't have the Hank Aaron legacy. You don't have the baseball legacy. Few of us will have a legacy that lots of people will ever know anything about. But all of us has the opportunity To make a mark in history and to leave an indelible mark that will not only affect today, but tomorrow, and even generations to come. That's right. From right here where you live, you can affect generations to come based solely on the decisions and commitments that you make right now. So this morning, I want us to consider Hezekiah's heritage. And I want to ask you, how can you leave a legacy? That's probably a really bad question. Let's change that. I'm going to ask you how can you leave a good legacy you see all of you are leaving a legacy the question is are you leaving one that's going to have a positive impact on generations to come the first thing we see from Hezekiah's life and that we need to learn is that if we're going to leave a positive lasting legacy we need to protect our own house you need to protect your house now I I, I want to speak specifically this morning to the church, right? I want us to think of our church body as a house. I want us to think of our own family as a house. And we've got a responsibility to protect our house. And And we see Hezekiah protecting his house from two different kinds of threats. He protects his house from the threats that are within and from the threats that are without. Now, turn with me, if you would, back just a few chapters. You might not even have to... Or, pages. You might not have a turn in your Bible, but Hezekiah, or, <laughs> I keep wanting to call Second Kings the book of Hezekiah. There is no book of Hezekiah, and if I say that this morning, it's an accident. Second Kings chapter 18 verse 4. I preached on this several months back. But the Bible says this. This is speaking of Hezekiah. He removed the high places and broke the pillars and cut down the Asherah. And he broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For until those days the people of Israel had made offerings to it. It was called Nehushtan. Nehushtan. This is Hezekiah protecting his house from threats from within. Hezekiah didn't just deal with his own idols. As king, Hezekiah destroyed the bronze serpent that had been created by Moses because it had become an idol causing Judah to sin. Now let me remind you of what this bronze serpent was. You remember, for those who have been reading through the Bible with us, we went all the way back in the book of Exodus. We had... Uh, as, as the children of Israel leave, we've got this problem during the exodus, during that time of them wandering in the desert. Uh, they sin, and, and the Lord sends fiery serpents, is the way the Bible describes them, an outbreak of, of, of snakes among the people. And they're biting them, and the people are dying. And they cry out to the Lord, and the Lord says to Moses, make a bronze serpent, stick it up on a pole, and any time somebody is bitten, if they would just but look to that bronze serpent, they'll be healed. And that's exactly what happened. Now listen, we don't have to get too creative to understand that what God was doing was give us a picture of the one who was to come, a reminder that we need only look to the cross of Jesus Christ and we could be healed. But here's what crazy thing had taken place. The children of Israel, and at this point in time, the people living in Jerusalem had taken that, that bronze serpent and it had ceased to be a reminder of God's goodness and of God's faithfulness, it had become an idol that the people bowed down and worshipped. I know that those of you that grew up in church would find it hard to believe that anybody within a church would take a good thing and turn it into a God thing and worship everything around it, right? But it can happen. We can take good things and make them into God things, and when we do, they become destructive things in our own lives hezekiah saw that the people this 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 bronze serpent no longer led the people towards the lord but instead it led them away from the lord and when hezekiah saw that hezekiah acted swiftly and what did he do he didn't put it in a national shrine he didn't hide it from everybody he he busted it up he destroyed this bronze serpent this act by hezekiah came at a great cost i'm sure He destroyed an ancient artifact. He destroyed something that the people of his kingdom worshipped. Do you imagine that the people rose up and said, Great job, Hezekiah. Thank you for doing that. When's the last time somebody destroyed one of your idols? Did you celebrate? You probably sulked in a corner, didn't you? Hezekiah destroyed it even at great cost because it was an idol causing, you ready, his house to sin. Hezekiah looked around and he said, this is leading the people astray. It's got to go. Do you want to leave a legacy? Make sure you deal with your own holiness first, but work to protect your house even at great personal cost. What are the things in your home or in your life that might cause others to sin? Oh, this is one of the hardest things that we deal with, isn't it? What is something that's near and dear to me that even if it's not a stumbling block for me might be a stumbling block for my house, for the people around me, for the people that are in my sphere of influence? How might my life or the things that I love cause somebody else to sin? Folks, are you willing to destroy those things that are close to you or those things that might even have great value to others around you because those things are things that are drawing people away from the Lord? Protect your own house from threats within. Second, protect your house from threats without. When Sennacherib, if we keep going down there, and, Hezek- and Dad, I'm going to it again. In 2 Kings chapter 18, it's not Hezekiah chapter 18. In 2 Kings chapter 18, if we continue to read Bible says, beginning verse 13, that in the 14th year of King Hezekiah, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came up against all the fortified cities of Judah and took them. And Hezekiah, king of Judah, sent to the king of Assyria in Lachish, said to them, I've done wrong. Withdraw from me. Whatever you impose on me, I will bear. And the king of Assyria required of Hezekiah, king of Judah, 300 talents of silver and 30 talents of gold. When Sennacherib attacked Judah, Hezekiah was more concerned, you ready, with protecting Jerusalem... And were protecting Judah than he was with anything else. when presented with an opportunity to avoid war, Hezekiah was willing to pay a great price. Hezekiah was more concerned with protecting his people than he was with preserving his pride. Folks, are you willing to do the things that would protect your people? that would protect your church, that would protect your family, even if it costs you pride? Do you think Hezekiah really loved the idea that he was going to bow, that he was going to grovel and beg at the feet of Sennacherib, and Sennacherib was going to say, you're going to pay me all this money? And he said, yes, sir, and he wrote him a check. He took him out. No, this is a terrible experience. But, Sennacherib, but Hezekiah says, my pride is nowhere near as important as the protection of my people. Hezekiah's legacy is written because Hezekiah put the people ahead of himself. Hezekiah was more concerned with the people around than he was even with his his own prestige and power. If you're going to leave a legacy, one of the things you've got to be willing to do is you've got to be willing to protect your home from threats within, from threats without, and you've got to do it even at great personal cost. Hezekiah saw threats on the inside and the outside, but he dealt with both. And whether the threat was inside or outside, it was costly for him to deal with. Folks, are you willing to deal with both? Can I just say this real quick? I want want us to all listen real, real clearly. Because in the evangelical church, our favorite threats to attack are the ones that are outside. Our favorite sins to identify are the ones that are outside. The sins that we like to cover up and pretend don't exist are the sins that are on the inside. The sins that are within our own ranks. The sins that might be within our own lives. And so, if we're not careful, even in the evangelical church, we can create certain topics that are off limits in the pulpit because those topics hit a little bit too close to home. As a friend of mine said, they plow a little too close to the corn. Hezekiah saw both and he dealt with both swiftly because it was necessary that both be dealt with. What are you willing? What are you willing to spend? To protect your kids and your family from spiritual harm? Are you willing to rob yourself of certain entertainment options or luxuries just to protect your house? What are you willing to give to protect your church family from the evil one? Are you willing to give money? Most of you are. Are you willing to also give your time and your talents? Are you willing to sit up with the addict while they fight their demons? Are you willing to walk with a depressed friend? Are you willing to stand in the gap? Protect your house. Are you willing to make yourself available to those who struggle? To walk with them, to sit alongside them, to have them at your table? Are you willing to have them at the table with your own children when they're in a hard spot? Christian, are you willing to look at your kids and say, hey, somebody's coming over for dinner tonight. They may say some things that we don't, we don't, talk, we don't use, the words that we don't use in this house, but these are people that we need to love on. Are you willing to do that, believer? You better be. Because if you're, <laughs> some of you are going, hey, that's, that's our family. I got gotcha. you. <laughs> we've been there too. But you better be. Because that's what it looks like for us to be missional. But, but regardless, we've got to protect our house. And we've got to be willing to not only speak to the threats. And when I say threats, I mean the sins on the outside. We've got to be willing to speak to the sins on the inside. And then to do whatever it takes, whatever it costs, to address them. And usually the cost is not financial, is it? Occasionally it is, but usually the cost is in what? It's in pride and prestige. It's the cost in comfort and in luxury. Do whatever it takes. Protect your house. Second thing this morning, commit to the present. Now this might sound a little bit odd, but if we turn over to Second Kings chapter 20, verses 20 and 21, which is right there where we read to begin with, we read this. The rest of the deeds of Hezekiah and all his might and how he made the pool and the conduit and brought water into the city. Are they not written into the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? And Hezekiah slept with his fathers and Manasseh his son reigned in his place. A significant part of Hezekiah's legacy involved the infrastructure that he created. Okay, A significant part of Hezekiah's legacy involved his commitment to take care of his people right there. We're talking about all the protection he did, but Mezekiah also committed to taking care of the people right there. The people that lived inside the walls of of Jerusalem and the people that lived within the realm, the kingdom of Judah. He made pools and conduits to bring water into the cities. He protected the house and prepared for the future, but he didn't sacrifice the present. Now, that means that he did something that was completely unexpected. We keep turning back and forth, I know, but turn back to 2 Kings chapter 18 and read verse 16. As he's humbling himself before Sennacherib, we see that Hezekiah does this. At that time, Hezekiah stripped the gold from the doors of the temple of the Lord and from the doorpost that Hezekiah king of Judah had overlaid and gave it to the king of Assyria. Hezekiah stripped the gold from the doors and from the door. Hezekiah stripped the gold that he had put on there off and he gave it to the king of Assyria. When Hezekiah considered his legacy, here's what Hezekiah knew. He knew there wouldn't be a future if he lived in the past or if he didn't protect the present. To preserve Judah, Hezekiah committed not only to preserving the past and to looking to the future, he committed to taking care of the present. There's some who would have certainly been appalled at the steps Hezekiah took, but Hezekiah knew this. Hezekiah knew that life was worth preserving. And so Hezekiah was willing to do whatever it took to take care of the people in the present moment. We don't create a lasting legacy if we do not take care of today. You understand that? We don't create a lasting legacy if we don't take care of today. There are two errors that will keep us from caring for today. We can decide that the past trumps the present. okay? And when we do that, let's just just pick on the church for a minute. When we decide the past trumps the present, we say things like, you know, you can't have a, a, a drum kit in a church because we didn't have one before. That would be one way that we might say that the past trumps the present. Okay, if we, if we just pick on the church, or, or that you have to dress a certain way, or you got to do a certain thing. And we say that, that the past matters more than what it is. It can even get crazier, can it? If the past trumps the present, then. I've always been in this Sunday school class, and I'll always be in this Sunday school class, and you can pry me out of this room on the day that my body lies cold and dead, or whatever. we got all these crazy things that can happen within, within a local church. We, we, we know that. So if we're not careful, we can allow the past, okay, what it was, we can still be longing for Mayberry so much that we don't actually deal with today. Right? All right? If that makes you feel a little uncomfortable, then this sermon's for you, so just hang on. It's going to get worse. Um, The other way that we can neglect to care for the present is at the cost of the future, right? We we plan for the—I said that wrong. We can plan so much for the future that we do so at the cost of the present moment. This is that person that has you know, $3 million in the bank saved up for retirement but can't buy groceries today. We would all look and say that makes absolutely no sense. But if we're not careful, we can do those things collectively as organizations, even as churches. That we're looking at what's coming around the corner and so we can't deal with what's happening today. Hezekiah said... I know what's in the future, but I know if I don't deal with today, we don't have a future. And so Hezekiah said, this is not what anybody wants, but we're going to take the gold off the doors of the temple. We're going to remove the gold that I had placed on on these pillars. In other words, you're going to take down the art that you have created, Hezekiah, because you've got to make sure that you take care of the present, or there won't be a future. You understand? Now, We've got to balance the tension of honoring the past and preparing for the future with taking care of today. And that's not always easy. But part of leaving a legacy means, and this is where wisdom gets involved, part of leaving a legacy means that we live in that tension. We live right there. We welcome it. We deal with the pull and the tug on both sides. We've got to be okay with that, that we're going to try to honor the past. That we're going to try and prepare for the future. But, folks, we're not going to sacrifice the present moment. How does that look in your own life? Well, you've got to think through those things, right? you got to think. Sometimes some of you have got to think about what that looks like as you're trying to raise children that love the Lord with our whole heart, mind, soul, and strength perhaps in the presence of a family that gives no honor to the Lord, and you've got to figure out how it is it that I, that I honor my father and my mother and I honor my birth family while I also plan for the future of my children as they move forward, hopefully with gospel goals. But I still live in this moment, and I'm teaching my kids that there's something out there that looks like loving Jesus for the next 40 years, but we've also got to continue to love on grandma and grandpa who don't understand that, Right? That we live in that tension. As a church, we live in that tension by saying, this is where we've been and this is where we're going, but this is where we are today. So, so it's like right now, we got that great illustration for us as we go, this is where we've been and this is where we're going. But right now, I got to right figure out how to get more chairs in here so y'all got somewhere to sit. That's, that's, that's a, a, a real practical thing. Now, I want to give you a, a heads up This morning. On May the 23rd, we as a church are going to begin a process of considering some of these issues ourselves. I I, I want you to plan to be here because on May 23rd, we're going to begin working through some of this because we've got to figure out what it looks like for us to honor the past, what it looks like for us to prepare for the future, and what it looks like for us to to, to care for everybody that's here. And there's, I continue to be blown away with how many of y'all keep showing up just being a, a, a... None of that should be said, understood as, please go away. It should all be understood as, holy cow, this is pretty awesome and exciting. And so what's it look like for us to live in this moment? This is the tension that we have, the legacy that we want to leave, a legacy for our children, but we can't leave them a legacy unless we take care of the present moment and caring. And can can I tell you that sometimes when we're trying to leave a legacy it's not always pretty it, it gets kind of kind of sloppy you know one of the hard things about raising children the hard things about raising children is that you're growing with them as they grow up now, a lot of people don't realize this like our kids don't realize this our kids either assume we know nothing or we know everything there's no middle ground for them right they, and it all varies it depends on the day it's like oh you're the smartest man on planet earth yes i am the next day, you don't even know how to tie shoes or pour milk. You're exactly right. And the truth of the matter is, from one day to the next, that could be true in my life. We feel that as parents because we're growing with them. You know, I, I, every day that my oldest kid gets older is the first time that I've ever, ever, you know, parented a kid that age. When he hits 14, that'll be the first time I ever parented a 14-year-old. By the time Sloan comes along, hopefully I'll be a skilled veteran. But, y'all, he's a whole animal to himself. So who knows how that works out? I'm getting a judgmental glance. He's a wonderful child, and I love him dearly. But that's that's the problem. That's that's the tension that we live in as parents. We're we're saying, okay, this is I want and I want, but I'm I'm trying to live right here, and I've I've never had this happen. I, you know, we we never. This is the first time that anybody broke a, a shower head off, or this is the first time that 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 somebody. I mean, <laughs> we're not there, but some, you know, it's the first time my kid uh, had a wreck. I got that call from uh, a buddy one time. He's like, my, my kid's been in a wreck. Is everything okay? It's okay, but man, this is awful. I don't know how to process all of this, and I'm supposed to be like the mature one. This is what it looks like for us trying to leave a legacy. That We're, we're trying to, to understand the waters that we're living in while we're experiencing them. This is Hezekiah's challenge This is the first time that Sennacherib knocked on his door and said, hey, you either pay me a bunch of money or I'm going to send my army here and we're going to take everybody out. And Sennacherib says, you know what, maybe at some point he says, I don't know if it's right or wrong, but we got to do something. You know what we we remember about, about Hezekiah? He acted boldly, right? He acted decisively and he acted in the best interest of his people even when it may have come at personal cost to him. It's doubtful that lots of people raised up and praised him for the things that he did. But we can look back through the lens of history and say he made the right decision. He took care of his people. Folks, leaving a legacy means we take care of our folks. You take care of your family. You take care of your church. You take care of those people that are in your circle. Is there any greater thing that the world would say about you when you're dead and gone? And she took care of me. She was there. She did what she had to do to get it taken care of. Commit to the present. Live in the present. Be fully present in the present. I know that's repetitive, but I mean it. Leaving a legacy means that we are face-to-face, eyeball-to-eyeball. I have a member of our church who is the best person I know on planet Earth of engaging in a one-on-one conversation. I think that the world could literally be on fire around her and she could be speaking to you and you would think that there was no one else on planet earth except you and her. Such an incredible gift. Such an incredible ability to be able to do that. Fully committed to the present moment. Are you committed to the present? Are you you, so committed that people think, hey, there's nothing more important than you right here. Hezekiah did that. He did that. He took care of the present. And then finally this morning we pray for the future. Do you want to leave a legacy? You know, I almost made this last point prepare for the future, but here's the truth. We can do all the preparing we want, but we really don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. 2020 was a really good story for us about that, wasn't it? Man, we prepare, we prepare, we prepare, and then the next thing you know, we've got a pandemic. And all the preparation for pandemic. You know what You know what insurance companies tell you? There's, you don't know this because y'all don't have to read church insurance policies. But there's actually a little fine, fine print at the bottom of, of your insurance policy for churches, probably for restaurants, and every other organization around the world. None of this applies to global pandemic. Like, it's literally in there. Because they got terrified when H1N1 came around. That if something went wrong that they would all end up bankrupt they they recognize they recognize what all of us with our little limited knowledge couldn't understand oh this can't be that big they understood it could be a really really big problem and they weren't trying to do anybody dirty they just recognized that if they if they put that in there they could literally all be bankrupted immediately so right there hey pandemic you're on your own all the best laid plans are good for nothing We don't know what tomorrow holds. So we should certainly plan for the future, but folks, there's nothing we can do better than to pray for the future. Because when tomorrow doesn't look exactly like we expected, we can have confidence the one to whom we have prayed knew what was coming before it arrived. He's the God of yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He's the Alpha and the Omega. So He's the God of forever. When we pray, we acknowledge that even though we do not know what the future holds, we know who holds the future, and we put it all in his hands. Hezekiah left a lasting legacy. Some of you are going, Craig, where's this prayer thing coming up? That's the point. Hezekiah left a lasting legacy, but there's one gaping hole in this last chapter of Hezekiah's life. The Bible says right there in 2 Kings chapter 20, that when Isaiah came to Hezekiah. He said, hear the word of the Lord. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and that which your fathers have stored up till this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And some of your own sons who shall be born to you shall be taken away and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Then Hezekiah said to Isaiah, no, this is a bad thing. Don't let it happen. No, the Bible says Hezekiah said, the word of the Lord that you have spoken is good. For he thought, why not? if there will be peace and security in my days. Now understand, and I'm I'm, I'm teaching a Bible study class on Sunday nights, and one thing I've warned in that Bible study is that we can't read tone into the Scriptures. So I, I know how I want to read this, but I don't know for sure what Hezekiah's tone was in these words. It's possible that Hezekiah's response was that He he thought that that Hezekiah simply spoke, I I have peace with the Lord. If this is God's will, then it's God's will and so be it. It's possible that Hezekiah's response was gratitude, that the judgment of God was going to be delayed. But it's also possible that Hezekiah spoke with just a degree of indifference. Oh well. Now I don't know for sure, but I do know this. The two other times... That we have recorded when Hezekiah received bad news, the Bible says that Hezekiah prayed. So Sennacherib came and he paid him off that one time, right? Well, they decided they didn't want to be paid off anymore. This guy named the Rabshakeh. Everybody, we should be. I need somebody called the Rabshakeh. I mean, if I'm going to be a bad guy in history. I want my name to be Rabshakeh, and I want it to be remembered that way. I mean, like, Marvel doesn't come up with people with a name like Rabshakeh. They they, they can't. So he's the bad guy. He shows up, and he begins, he stands up on the wall at Jerusalem. He gets to the wall, and he begins declaring, hey, we're going to come and take away everything you got. And Hezekiah, If he thinks he can protect you, and if he thinks that the Lord your God can protect you, listen, everybody else thought that too. But when we show up, you're going to see that your king and your God have got nothing for us. Hezekiah's men are there at the wall, and they say, Hey, brother, don't speak in the the normal language of the people. We speak your language. Let us speak to you in that language. The rabshakeh says, No, 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 no. We're going to speak in the language of your people. They deserve to know what's coming. I hope they're listening. He's speaking loud so the whole world can hear what he has to say. The Bible says that Hezekiah prayed. The Bible says that when Hezekiah prayed, the Lord heard. And the Lord said, don't worry about it, I got it. Now that's the Craig version, you understand. Later on in Hezekiah, and, and, and that's what happened. The Lord brought about a victory for Judah. Assyria left. God brought about a victory. A little while later there in 2 Kings 19, the Bible says that Hezekiah grew sick. He grew ill. And Hezekiah prayed. I'm sorry, that's in in 20. Hezekiah prayed. And the Bible says that when Hezekiah prayed, that God answered his prayer. I'm going to give you a few more years of life, Hezekiah. You see, the proclamation had already come. You're going to die. And Hezekiah prayed. And when Hezekiah prayed, the Bible says God heard from heaven. The prophet comes back to Hezekiah and he says, Hezekiah, the day is coming when Babylon will invade your kingdom. It will take all of your riches and your wealth, and it's going to take even some of your sons away, make them eunuchs in their own kingdom. And the Bible says that Hezekiah said, The word of the Lord that you have spoken is good. Now, listen, the Bible says that Hezekiah was a good king. And Hezekiah was a good king, if for no other reason than, than the simple fact that no man or woman's life should ever be characterized by one action. Right? Hezekiah's good for the kingdom far outweighed the bad. And, and possibly Hezekiah was a good king, even in light of this, because maybe when Hezekiah spoke these words, they were words filled with faith, and Hezekiah said, If this is the Lord's will, then it is the Lord's will. But folks, me reading God's Word and seeing that every time that bad news had come to Hezekiah before, Hezekiah had prayed. And in this moment, Hezekiah just keeps his mouth shut. And Hezekiah says, well, it's going to be all right for me. And I can't help but wonder if there wouldn't be an indictment for all of us if we looked around and said, Lord, if you'll just let it be all right for us, we're not going to worry about tomorrow. What kind of legacy would we have? When we look at our society today, I fear we're tempted to do the same thing as Hezekiah. Everything's going to hell in a handbasket, so we'll just make the most out of the day. Eat, drink, and be merry. For tomorrow we die, and hopefully our kids will just find a way forward. We're going to do our best to plan, but we don't know what the future holds. When's the last time you hit your knees and you prayed for the future? The future of your children. The future of your church. The future of your community. The future of your country. When's the last time that you prayed? That you sweated over those prayers. That you shed tears over those prayers. When you saw the brokenness in our world, and rather than grow hard and angry at the world around you, you found yourself on your knees broken. Lord God, would you move among us? Pray for the future. Our culture has become so incredibly divided. And in that division, everything has become political And in that political environment, can can we step away from just one? Why is everything so political? The reality is our world has moved away from an understanding of a transcendent God that exists outside of time and space who may himself be able to invade time and space and make a change. And instead our world has begun to believe that the only thing that exists is the eminence around us. And if we hope to see change, we don't go to the God above, we go to the people among us. And we hope and pray that those people can bring about a change. And folks, it's invaded the church. You want to know why y'all get so angry about politics and gripe about it on Facebook and lose sleep about it and tell me how evil everybody is? It's because you forgot. They serve a higher power and you've invested your hope in a human being who will fail you. Hezekiah forgot to pray. Who knows what might have happened had Hezekiah prayed. We know that Judah fell, but I can't help but wonder, what if Hezekiah had prayed? Hezekiah's prayers had been powerful. When Hezekiah prayed before, armies turned around and ran. When Hezekiah prayed, he was healed. Hezekiah resigned himself to the political realities of the world around him and assumed that it was going to go in one direction. What might it look like if the people of God found themselves praying to the God who was over all, in all, and through all? What might it be if the lasting legacy that we left was a legacy of prayer? I had a lady named Miss Ruth in my home church. None of y'all would have known her if you'd lived three miles from her. She didn't get out much. She didn't drive much. She didn't do much. I never knew her to teach anything. I never knew her to speak out loud anywhere, but I knew this. I knew that lady prayed all the time. She prayed. But we love to go to her with our prayer requests because I knew if I gave her something to pray about, I knew it got prayed for every single day. It was her commitment. It was her legacy. Some of you have been Southern Baptist long enough and remember the name of a lady named Bertha Smith. And if you can't remember, you've got to look it up. Bertha Smith was an international missionary. Bertha Smith is from Calpin, South Carolina, which is a suburb of Cannon's campground where I grew up. That's right. Miss Bertha Smith prayed so regularly in one room that the story is that there were indentions in the floor where her knees hit. Her home's been turned into a, to a, a halfway house. But Bertha Smith prayed at the Southern Baptist Convention one year. I believe it was Vance Havner that said when Bertha Smith prayed, she told the Lord things about Southern Baptists that Southern Baptists didn't want the Lord to know. <laughs> For all the things she did, her legacy was a legacy of prayer. In Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 12. Now, you remember that Jeremiah 29 was written to the exiles that had been that it, that it that it left Judah. They were in Babylon. And it's a letter that the Lord urges Jeremiah to send to the people. And Jeremiah sends the people. And, and you'll remember that in that Jeremiah says, Plant gardens, build houses, you're going to be here for a while. The false prophets had come telling him they were going to be leaving. And, and he said, No, 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 you need to understand. It's going to be a little minute. You messed up. You're living under God's chastisement. So why we need to be careful with Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans all that stuff. Well, guess what? That was coming a little while. <laughs> Those plans to prosper you and not to harm you weren't tomorrow. It was a part of God's big plan. But Jeremiah 29, 12 says this. It says, then you will call on me and come and pray to me. And ready, I will listen. Hezekiah is a legacy of a man of God, a good king who ruled Judah well. But in his last moments, Hezekiah missed an opportunity. Our God is a God who delights in answered prayer. I don't know if we say that enough. We get so concerned with the perversion of theology that happens in sort of health and wealth preaching and prosperity gospel. We get so concerned with the perversion that we cease to sometimes preach the truths. He's a good father and if you who are evil know how to give your children good gifts, how much more your heavenly father. He delights in answering the prayers of his people. When's the last time you prayed? I don't mean a blessing. I hope you do that. When's the last time you prayed? When's the last time your children were prayed for? When's the last time your grandchildren were prayed for? When's the last time that you lost track of time because you got consumed with the needs of the world and the people around you and you prayed? When's the last time you turned off the distractions and you prayed? Do you want to leave a legacy? Protect your house. Commit to the present moment. But I dare say that we are all more comfortable with those than we are with praying for the future because we like to be in control. When I'm protecting my house, I've got charge. When I'm preparing for the future, I've got a hand when I'm preparing for the present. When I'm praying for the future, Lord God, I can't, but you can. What's your legacy? What is your legacy? I'm reading a book right now called All Over by the Shouting to Memoir about a guy who grew up Southern Appalachians right on the Georgia and Alabama line. He grew up in a hard family in a hard place. But the most heartbreaking part for me so far is the legacy of an alcoholic father who abused his mother and left the children and the mom to fend for themselves. At 40 years old, this man died from all of his hard living. And he died having left his children and his wife absolutely nothing except pain and heartache. He left a legacy. You're leaving a legacy today. You're leaving a legacy You're actively crafting that legacy. Now here's the reality. That legacy is going to be represented on your tombstone with one little dash. From the year you were born to the year you died. All that you'll do will be represented with one little dash. A dash of salt makes all the difference in a lot of recipes. I wonder what dash you might make in the lives of the people you encounter. Now here's the good thing. Hezekiah made a mistake, but Hezekiah still had a godly legacy. So I don't want to beat you up too bad. Some of you are still consumed with the mistake that you made last year, two years ago, ten years ago. Some of you are still overwhelmed and carrying that guilt. I want you to know, that the Lord forgives, and the Lord heals, and the Lord changes. Don't allow that one mistake to shape the rest of your opportunities. But I also challenge you this morning to think long and hard about the legacy that you're leaving for your church, for your friends, for your children, for your grandchildren. What do they have to say? Are you a person who's protected them? Are you a person who's planned and prepared for them? Are you a person who has prayed for them? If you're not, you can become that person today. And then finally this morning, do you have a legacy of faith in your own life? Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ? Some of you can't leave a spiritual legacy yet because you don't have a spiritual story yourself. You don't know what it is to follow the Lord Jesus. You don't know what it looks like to be a Christian. <laughs> that, that word is foreign, it's complicated. Maybe, maybe in your life it's been a bad word for a long time and you're just trying to figure out what it means and how it applies. Today can be the day it all changes. Hezekiah prayed and the Lord heard. And if you'll pray today, the Lord will hear. Join with me as we pray. Lord God, I pray you'd be with us this morning. Father God, I pray that you would help us to change our legacies. May we be men, women, boys and girls even, Lord God, who commit to legacies of faithfulness, of Christ-likeness, of gospel devotion. Oh God, would you work through us in spite of us. Give us the courage, Lord God, to do the things that need to be done. And the faith to trust you, Lord God, with the things that we can't do. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Stand with us this morning as we sing.